Welcome to Incommunicado, a weekly podcast exploring communication and the weird and wonderful realm of modern language. There's a special part of communication that's scorned by many, understood by few, but loved by us, and that part is jargon. Using jargon as a starting point for discussion, we want to delve deeper into what communication really is, how we communicate in our day-to-day lives, how we develop meaning through language, and how we can better navigate it. In each episode, we will be joined by a guest, delving into some of the big questions that we have. Why do we use jargon? When do we use it? Could we live without it? And when does it leave us incommunicado? Welcome once again to Incommunicado. Today's podcast will be hosted by myself, James Dellin. I'm the creative director of James Dellin Creative, a video communication and content marketing business. I'm joined also today by James Burford, who is a recent music technology graduate from the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, don't you know? And he works as a freelancer in marketing with a specific focus on managing social media campaigns. The third of your illustrious hosts Today is Miss Amy Borchard, a creative consultant specialising in HR strategy for the museums and cultural heritage sector internationally. So we have a guest with us today, a very special guest. Yeah, so today we're joined by Asim Bukhari. He graduated from the University of Edinburgh in landscape architecture and is now working full time as a brand designer down in that there, London. Hello, Asim. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Hi, Asim. Yes, thanks yeah, for joining us. Hey guys, no, thanks for having me. It is our absolute pleasure and delight, Asin. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm very excited. So, to kick things off, um, I have a question for you, Asin. Your background is in landscape architecture, um, and we know that you moved into graphic design um, shortly after you graduated. So we have a few questions. So the first one is, what is landscape architecture? How does that compare to a typical architecture degree? Landscape architecture is creating spaces for the outside world to enhance quality of life for other humans. And it's like an example of this would be kind of creating parks, creating like when you see lakes and um, bike routes for really nice places, walkways and just something that is like designed to make the outside space a bit better, especially when especially in like rundown areas and communities where the council isn't so great, a landscape architect's job is to just kind of just make it look better and make people feel good about living there. So you are renovating existing places. So, for example, someone might come to you and say there is a park in this town that needs mm. a bit of life um, and you come yeah. and make it better. Yeah, that's why we, with landscape architecture, it's really rare that you work with clients or like a specific person mainly is that councils or governments and stuff like that because is unless someone has a really big garden or like a huge house and then they can call a landscape architect it's more like the council saying okay this bit of the area is really run down or it's not doing so well Mm -hmm. why don't we like paint a mural or like do something really fun and creative here to just bring life to this space so um it's a really cool thing but it's yeah it does get a bit like repetitive interesting so so you mentioned urban design and obviously i'm not in the field so i'm not actually quite sure so when you talk about architecture urban design landscape architecture what's the um, key difference between those three certain i feel like it's just certain unis can call 
a landscape architecture degree urban design okay and there's not really that much of a difference mm-hmm. um whereas in edinburgh it's called landscape architecture whereas i applied for sheffield that was called urban design okay and newcastle was called urban and landscape design so it's just yeah it's just a name sort of thing hmm. mm. okay cool so what made you want to start again or I, I guess you could think of it as starting again as a graphic designer. So, so when you came out, of yeah. Uni- so it was, I think, in I did enjoy university as a whole and studying, but it was when I took a year out to do a placement, and then when I actually started working in a, it was a landscape architect and engineering firm, and um, when I started working there, that's when I kind of, because then that's when you kind of realize like how different the actual work is compared to just learning about it and it was like working with loads of councils and it wasn't as creative as I thought it was going to be and we would have like a really cool idea and we would have they would let us come up with really creative ideas and designs and plans and then as the project would go on there would be like budgets time constraints the clients they would literally not like anything sometimes the community would be against what they wanted so i remember i designed um like a wooden deck that went down to like a lake because it was like kind of just blocked off by like a fence and we did really cool like posters (laughs) posters and stuff and they printed it out and then the community (laughs) they just graffitied over it and well that that's interesting (laughs) though because because you're working with the council i guess you are a lot more constrained in terms of what you can That's do. That's the thing. And no one really agrees with what the council does anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it was just, it was it was so sad seeing like yeah. a, a um, I did a visual and then I did like a whole poster for it. And then they sent pictures. The council sent us emails of just people graffiti over it. <laughs> and it, was, I mean, it was just like, it's so rubbish. It was just so annoying. That sounds and it's just, yeah. Um, it is because you just you put so much time and effort into something and then you know that it's really not going to be made and then you just go back and forth and you just end up making like a planter or like a bench yeah or or yeah like it's just it's not very it's very limiting in what you can do that grand can idea. I just ask a quick question before James? You might go somewhere else with it, but um, do do you find that in that kind of work you're not actually doing, or or you're rarely creating anything new? Is it quite hard to like innovate? I guess if, um, if you're saying it's you very up... rare. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. It is so rare. I feel like once in maybe five years, mm. or twice maybe, because the people I worked with they were there for like ten, fifteen years. Do you remember the 2012 Olympics, the Stratford mm-hmm. Park they made? They did that. Oh, wow. So oh, um, that was a huge thing. Yeah, that was a huge mm-hmm. thing that ACOM did. The Edinburgh firm, the London firm, I think it was Manchester, Birmingham. They all got together and they did the, I think it was like two billion, it was like a two billion pound budget. Mm-hmm. So that was like a once in a lifetime sort of thing mm-hmm. where they had mm-hmm. such a big, big budget and they'll they could literally do whatever they want and it, it and it's so nice as well and you can see that but um that is it is really really rare that you get to do that again yeah so thinking about your 
experience as a landscape architect. How well did that prepare you then when you moved from, let's say, physical design in buildings and parks to graphic design? So um, I didn't really realise how different it was. I thought that because it's kind of in that design realm, I thought that it would be kind of easy to kind of just make the jump. But it was quite difficult because the softwares and programs that we use for landscape architecture, even though design is so different from what we use for graphics and branding, and it's much more technical when it comes to architecture because you need to actually have the measurements and the sizing and the scale literally perfect Mm. because you're actually doing that in real life and in real scale whereas with graphic design and stuff is is not as hard like a t-shirt and like a poster and like a banner or a billboard it's not the same thing as like a an entire park yeah i could i presume it's slightly more forgiving isn't it you can yeah you can go back and redesign yeah yeah like you can edit little little things but with it's very very different yeah yeah so um talking about the differences between the two fields um our podcast of course is all about communication and language and jargon is there anything that um is similar between the two fields in that so do you use a lot of the same um yeah pieces of jargon or technical phrases across landscape architecture and graphic design um i feel like with landscape architecture there was more of a when you're speaking with clients you need to have this more professional and more like engineering side as well that you know what you're speaking about Mm -hmm. so there would be terms when you would be you would be discussing with the client how like the elevation and the scope and the plan and the side view and how everything sort of comes together when you're showing them your plans whereas with graphic design i feel like i don't know maybe it's just the firm i'm working with but Mm -hmm. i feel like the relationship between a client and the person is very is more casual mm-hmm. and you don't want to confuse them with words they don't understand because mm. then they're not going to be able to give you a real response or like a, it's just not going to help. Whereas I feel like with architecture, it was, the di- it was really different. It was like the whole, it was like the opposite thing mm. where the clients and the clients were much older and the team was much older and they were just kind of, you'd have to pretend like, you know what you're speaking about. And as an intern there, I would not know half the words mm. that they were saying, but I would like agree and nod. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one one thing that we've found um, throughout the the few episodes that we've recorded <coughs> previous, previously to this episode is that there is an age related factor in the use of jargon. So it's quite interesting that you've also picked up on um, yeah two different age groups, let's say, um, using either two different types of jargon or maybe a younger audience or an older audience, whoever it might be, using more jargon than than the other. I think there's, um, it, it's not exclusively an age thing necessarily. It's, I think it'd be an experience thing. And of course, more experience comes with more age. That's kind of a given, isn't it? But you can, it, it seems to me anyway, that particularly in graphic design, you tend to have clients that um, that know kind of what they want but then they don't know how to express what it is that they want. And if you try and express it to them, sometimes it can leave you in a more confused space. But if you're in landscape architecture, for sake of argument, if you're working with, um, you know, 
uh, councils, local authorities that have a very specific idea of what it is that they want. You know, I want this bench there and it has to be 500 mil from this side to this side. Uh, it's a tiny bench, isn't it? But anyway, like, you know, they, they, they'll give you those sorts of, like this week. <laughs> I wanted five millimetres from the ground to the very top of it. You'll be like, you can have that, but... Sounds Jesus. like my size. Yeah. <laughs> but, sorry, just to jump in, that that's what I was going to say as well. So the council, I would say, have a better idea of the social purpose, like what they want that piece of architecture to do. Whereas graphic design, exactly. your clients are probably closer to your work and what you're doing. Um, so yeah, and I feel language. like... Yeah, no, it, it, 100%, that's right. And I feel like with councils, they've been doing this for forever. Yeah. Mm. And whereas when you've, when if I come across a client, this could be the first time they're ever doing anything. Yeah. And majority of the time it is that someone's just like, I just got this really cool idea. Um, what do I do with it? And then we kind of steer them in that direction. Mm. And it's always nice when we can have like a really comfortable mutual understanding and level of communication. Because then that just makes me, you as a designer and the client have a really good relationship. Mm. Which is very different from, yeah, what James was saying in like working with a council and mm. the government and stuff. Mm. Yeah, but I think that also comes down to the size of the company. Because if you were working in a huge firm, for example, uh, let's take like Bjark Ingalls, for example, I, I feel like you'd have more of the freedom to like be within that creative department. But if you're in a smaller firm, then you're having to deal with every side of the that creation process yeah so it's basically yeah you are right everything you kind of just said um it does make sense because when i was working in the landscape architecture firm it was a huge firm with like 500 plus people wow and there was engineers um water like management teams wind um there was just a bunch of people and engineers and architects and everything so you do kind of just get lost in your own little tasks and your own little bubble. And what, as what I can, was your role, sorry? I was a landscape architect. Oh, so that so there was, was about, the title? Yeah, okay. uh, there was about 10 of us. Mm. So, but then we had, it felt like a tiny, tiny role mm. in this huge project that we would be doing. And that is the thing, I've never spoke to a client when I was working there i would sit mm. in meetings but then mm. it would basically be the engineers or the um the managers of each sort mm. of team and they would be kind of the ones speaking to the clients mm. whereas where i'm working now i'm always talking to a client like mm. every other day or we're always mm. having that sort of conversation because there's only 15 of us so it is true like it does depend on the scale of the company yeah so the just to touch on something that you were talking about a minute ago you you said the word wind wind energy water yeah okay. um all of that yeah like yeah. they would make wind turbines in um the highlands in Scotland and yeah they would, they was just so so much that I didn't even know existed in so, the company that people would be doing are energy clients part of landscape architecture would you say then is that is that something else that falls under landscape architecture sometimes if it is like a huge scale project mm -hmm. 
where they are like there's an empty bit of land and they might want to create like a um a kind of building in this landscape and there's wind turbines there and it's like an energy sort of um place where people can read the energy and take um all the information and data they need then our job is to kind of create like that space oh, wow, okay. where they have like there's a building already there but then we can create like a nice outdoor area for them a car park um walking routes to wherever they need to go and then that's kind of our role so there is like a lot that we can do it just depends on the scale of the project and what they kind of want mm -hmm. okay oh that's really interesting um because you're you're drawing a, a distinct line there between the civil engineering of let's say a wind turbine and the landscape architecture of you know the outdoor museum that comes with the wind turbine that's, yeah that's you're you're not building the wind turbine well obviously you're not anymore but the firm you used to work for isn't building the wind turbine you're building the outdoor space that might support that wind turbine if it's very important and people actually want an outdoor space for it that's really interesting so even exactly. though the energy company is not your client in terms of building its uh, inventory, I suppose, they would still be your client in terms of building the the um, car park amenities facilities that surround that thing. Okay, I get it. Exactly. No wonder you um, wanted to move on to graphic design because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it not, not to... Um, not to judge, of course, but I understand from from a, as a designer myself that sort of job, especially in a large company that's five hundred plus, where you feel like a tiny cog in an otherwise indifferent kind of universe. Yeah, I mean, I'd want I'd want to go and see some clients and do some drawing and make some shit, make some cool stuff. You know, not standing yeah, in no. the middle of the windy field. Yeah, quite. <laughs> and they will do that. They will do bet, that. Yeah. There's. Yeah, there's been times where we had to go to the Isle of Skye. It was really cool. We would go to really nice places, but we literally had to take a 360 image of the wind turbines that were there and make sure that they were in the right position, mm -hmm. like there was no issues with mm -hmm. everything that they did before. Like it literally was that. And I'm not saying that some people love it and have Absolutely, such a great yeah. passion for it. Like, yeah, that's all cool, but it really was just not no, for me. Not for you. So then, as you move across from landscape architecture into graphic design, let's, we will sort of focus on this now. Um, do you feel like you had to start again completely or were the common threads between uh, uh, architecture and design enough for you to feel like you had a leg up and you, you, were, you were ready to go type thing? So as soon as I did work and I realised I was kind of just figuring out how different it actually would be and what I would have to kind of relearn and what I would, I would just like kind of make up the time for me spending four years doing a master's and not actually wanting to go ahead with it. Yep. It was kind of scary and it did make me feel like, oh, maybe I'm just not thinking and I'm just kind of, I, I just didn't know what was I was going to do in the future and it was kind of scary but um i am glad i made that jump and i basically realized that it was it is different but it was difficult because i had to learn new softwares i had to learn of 
like how to build relationships with clients because we did none of that working as a landscape architect and because most of the time you're in such a big team you don't have a personal relationship with a client so when i the first thing i did was i started freelancing and even though i didn't know much i knew that if i start and i just pushed myself out there i'm going to pick everything up as i go along Yeah. because it's not mm. something you can just learn and read from or like watch youtube videos from even though a lot of stuff you can do like with photoshop and illustrator and stuff yeah But yeah it, you can learn yeah. you can learn the operation from youtube you can learn how to do the the stuff the technical stuff but what no, nobody teaches you and what i think i'd say is uh i'd go as far to say as nobody can teach you are the soft skills the the interpersonal skills and i think communication the way we communicate with people the jargon that you use in that setting is uh, phenomenally important in uh, developing your skills as a communicator so if you went from an architecture space landscape architecture space into the graphic design space and you started out on your own as a freelancer i mean wow that's that sounds like night and day and um i'm really trying to drill down into this idea of uh you know how much how much language you could actually bring how much jargon you could bring from one space to the other i imagine it wouldn't be a lot but what what are mm. your thoughts on that exactly no you're right and um that was the thing so when i did start i remember my first client was a she was a cbt therapist mm -hmm. so she was working in the nhs and um this when i started promoting myself and as a graphic designer and she had no clue what i do or what any of this yeah, means yeah. she just wanted to start her own private company and she just had a logo idea and like a website idea and um i feel like i did get lucky because <laughs> that allowed me to kind of work out how i kind of i've basically steered the conversations and the direction of okay this is what we do and as i was going along with that i was just doing my own research and being like okay yeah. this is what a freelancer would do and this is what i've learned from like friends or there was a certain degree of like jargon and stuff i could take from my work in landscape architecture for example it was very small but for example having like set times and folders and conversations with clients every now and then mm -hmm. so that whilst you're doing the project they know what you're doing mm -hmm. i personally wouldn't do that but my managers would do that and i would see that so there were small things that i took from that and then i did myself and it was obviously it was very different but it did work because i was kind of learning as i was going along yeah. and my client had no idea what was right and what was wrong i could um literally do anything and they would just be like oh okay yeah, yeah that's fine but we've talked and, about this a lot Yeah, sorry, j just to say, so so we talk about this idea that um, can using jargon kind of make you seem like you know what you're talking about um, and, and like how can exactly, that benefit yeah. you. Um, well, hmm. But I think that's really interesting because you had those soft skills that you needed to have that conversation and create that relationship. And then in the background, you're doing your research to make sure that what you are recommending um, is, is the right thing to be saying, basically. Yeah. But because you you had that base level understanding and knowledge of the language that you should be using um 
and the client relationship side as well i feel like i got really lucky and i did take advantage of that and um it did help because and also yeah another thing with design and this sort of work is that more than anything what the client is looking at is i feel like the best form of communication so i could i could be saying anything i could be saying made up words and using jargon but <laughs> when i'm showing them a design mm. they nothing else matters yeah it's just what mm. i'm showing them is the okay. thing that's going to stick and then we're like oh okay this is what you've done yeah and then that is kind of where this all leads up to like mm. the most important thing is visual design mm-hmm. i i agree with that the the be all and end all i mean your product if you like is a piece of visual media at the end of it, isn't it? Um, so it is the most important thing uh, to a client because that that's the that's the value, that's the that's the transaction, and that's what what happens in in that situation. But I would also suggest that what what you're talking about here is um, you know kind of uh, one man leadership. You you have to lead your clients in a way that makes them feel um, confident in you and. You were saying that in your previous role as a landscape architect, I don't know if we've mentioned that yet. I think we have. But in your previous role, you um, you were speaking to a lot of uh, local authorities and um, people with more experience, people with a lot of experience, industry experience, and they wanted to hear the jargon. They want you to say those words so that they can have confidence in you uh, doing the job. When you moved into graphic design, you start leading your first client who you said doesn't didn't know anything. She just wanted a website and a logo. But you're like, well, do you know what? I'm going to employ the process here. I'm going to give you updates. I'm going to tell you what's going on week by week. Maybe not day by day, but I'm definitely going to tell you week by week. And mm. so we're going to get to that to that stage. Do you feel that um, whilst the visual was the most important thing, did you feel yourself using particular design jargon to not justify the design but to express and explain the design yes it's something that you just have to kind of find a middle ground in because you don't want them to like literally just completely not even know what you're saying and it to be really hard to understand you but you also do want to sound like you know what you're saying so you do just kind of need to find that middle ground between like being really comfortable with them and having a really good conversation and level of understanding but you also want to sound professional Mm -hmm. so Mm. i did and i feel like i just picked that up naturally and i'm just realizing now because you just said it but um i didn't think of it like oh okay i'm gonna do this because i did it in the workplace before and because it sounds i think it just came naturally because it was just something that obviously you want to sound professional and you want to kind of do mm. you want the client to be like oh okay this person i can trust and they know what they're saying yeah and mm. sometimes yeah you might have to use long words to kind of <laughs> get that point across yeah <laughs> so it is true it is it's funny isn't it i think it's important to to um really dr- drill down on the idea that jargon is a balancing act because mm. um yeah you know, you you cannot present a logo <laughs> or a brand design and say, you know, yeah, it's red because I like red. 
you know, you have to (laughs) give some sort of justification. Like, you know, colour theory suggests that red invokes this sort of behaviour or this sort of emotion and that is resonant with your brand and this is where we want to go. And you can use... You can use nice vocabulary without having to spill over into jargon. But then again, there's this that that's the balance, isn't it, between what's your vocabulary exactly. and what's what's the jargon that you want to use? I think there's there's definitely an element of like fake it till you make it um, with this. I, I know that, you know, I mean, I, when I was doing my music degree, university level was the first time that I'd ever studied music. And I was on the same course with people who had done music technology at like, you know, GCSE or A level. And so when I heard them talking about, you know, applying a compression with this ratio or, you know, uh, cutting a certain frequency in their EQ, I was like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Um, I don't know if, James, obviously you've got a background in audio engineering, you'll agree. But yeah, yeah, at the start, I was a bit overwhelmed. But after a while, once you've been doing it yourself and you've been practicing, you start to you know put the pieces together don't you you talk about luck but i feel like you've put yourself in a really good position with your landscape architecture background um as you've moved over to uh, it gives kind of gives you a good um starting point doesn't it when you moved over to graphic design you know what though james luck is merely opportunity plus preparation so asan had obviously prepared himself by doing landscape architecture and learning all that stuff about design and um then he uh, he had the opportunity to move into. Well, he created the opportunity because he was like, I can't, I don't want to <laughs> work in this bloody shithole anymore. So I'm going <laughs> to go and work for myself. Not to say that. Well, you know, yeah, it, it's not that it was a shithole. It just wasn't for you anymore, was it? So, right. um, yeah, very very interesting. So, so obviously, I work in HR, and we do we actually do a lot of recruitment for graphic designers for our clients. And what's quite <laughs> no way um so what what's quite interesting um in these job descriptions or i say not just the job description but actually what the client is looking for um is so it will say like you are required to have design experience sorry no a design qualification right um and obviously you need the graphic design experience with that but I, I think it's interesting how they don't specify, or a lot of the time they don't specify that you need graphic design background. If, if you've been in the world of design, there is like a, a common language um, that, that goes between the two. This idea that if you've been in the design world in some way, that might be architecture, it might be graphic design, but you, you do have that base level understanding um, yeah, of the language. That's, that's interesting. Sorry, I know you're talking to Asim, but I have something to jump in on that. That's that's fascinating because um, I would strongly suggest that if you're a dress designer, if you're a fashion designer, then you would struggle moving into graphic design. You have an idea of shape and form and colour and, you know, like design basics, I imagine. Design as, a, as, a, as an mm. umbrella. But to move from... Um, garment design to actually move from the idea of learning how to stitch sleeves to a, a, a torso mm. to then designing a vector graphic that you know uses um, both print and screen colors you'd be mm. like what what are you talking about so yeah, but I think this is where the experience comes in and, and I also yeah, think sure. um, 
having a background in fashion design, I'm sure that is slightly different. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think that probably would be uh, different. Uh, yeah, but it will be, of course. I, it ties back nicely to the idea that you went from landscape architecture to graphic design, which might in some ways feel quite dissimilar, but actually, you know, you said it came quite naturally to you. I was going to say to make that leap, but maybe it wasn't so much of a leap. Um, I agree with both of your statements, especially with like the, that's the thing, the dis design is such a vague term and I feel like so much comes under it, like a fashion designer and a graphic designer. If I was to say, can you print in 600 DPI and add the bleeds and the marks, like that person would not know what I'm saying. Yeah, and same no if they were... Yeah, like, and if they were saying to me, I don't even, I don't even know anything like jargon in terms of fashion mm. and like stitching and stuff, but I would be the same. So I feel like design is just, it's so broad. There's so much that comes under it, but you're right. Like if you have, I feel like there's little bubbles that come underneath this huge umbrella. And I feel like landscape architecture and graphic design was not as far away from each other so mm. I feel like I could take advantage of my experience and it, that kind of pushed me to this direction and helped me because I feel like I had that foundation where as it wasn't like being thrown into a completely new yeah. field mm -hmm. mm. And, and again it, it's that idea that as long as you have that desire to learn as well and do your research because you said you knew that it was a learning process that, that you had to go through mm. yourself and you wouldn't be able to just start a new career, I guess, in graphic design. You had to put the work in as well. But but you knew the language yeah. that would be similar between mm. between both. Yeah, exactly. It was it was difficult because I had to literally I had to create my own website. I had to I did two, three short courses that were free. I wanted to do paid ones, but mm. I didn't know if it was necessary. But I did loads of courses. I or used to take notes. I used to do like fake sort of branding um, style guidelines. Mm -hmm. I used to do logos. Yeah. I was uh, so always to build just up practicing. your own portfolio, like while exactly, while you were out because, of work, just showing what yeah. you'd yeah. Because my portfolio was strictly landscape architecture, and that mm -hmm. would not ever get me into a graphic yeah. design sort of field. Mm -hmm. So I had to basically start from scratch and whilst I was doing my dissertation and in the summer, I was home. Um, that's all I'll do. I was making my own portfolio, my own website, um, a print portfolio, one, just a digital one um, in different scales. And I was doing a lot to like build myself up to a yeah. good standard that I would be able to actually apply for junior graphic design mm -hmm. roles, which I yeah. wouldn't be able to do if I didn't put in yeah. my own work. So it was difficult, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's interesting because on your website, so I'd like to draw everybody's attention to Asen's website. We'll leave it in the description somewhere. Um, you actually have at the top, <laughs> um, always down to try something new. I would suggest, Amy, that's not necessarily to do with design. That's to do with um, Asen's entrepreneurial spirit. Of course, yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 So if you, yeah. you know, you can do logos, great. Can you do uh, somebody comes and wants a magazine design? Maybe you don't uh, a, a magazine layout. Sorry, maybe you don't quite know how to do that yet. You know you've got the tools to create something that at least resembles a magazine layout, 
And then you can go and do the work to discover how that actually does work and what it actually looks like. And then what we're all talking about, how you can communicate that back to your client without, you know, losing their confidence. Because I would suggest that freelancing, you can definitely tell your client, well, I haven't done that before, but I'll give it a go for you. Whereas potentially in Amy's line of work in, in corporate HR, you do you never say that you haven't done that job before if you haven't <laughs> done it, you know. Like you're working with yeah, I, I think that in, you in any case, it. you wouldn't be explicit about not having done something before. You you would say it in a different like you would try to cover up as much as possible that you haven't quite done that. You know, like we've done something like it. But because we, we have that all the time. We would never turn around to a client and say, Wow, this is new territory for us, we've never done that before. We would say this is what we have done. And then it is it's not winging it, but it's um, you, it's like James just said, you give them the confidence and then you do your background research to make sure that, you know, you're yeah. aligned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then, I feel like you just learn along the way and mm -hmm. then you just slowly, slowly build up your own confidence. And I feel like, yeah, that is true. And in freelancing, I feel like the clients are sometimes more comfortable as well with you not having done something before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I have done that before. Um, I did basically... The, is the CR80 business cards. So they're like credit card business mm. cards that I, um, they're like this contactless one that you can tap on a phone or anything. Mm. And it comes up with like all your information and yeah. data. Yeah. And um, it's just easier rather than just having like a paper business card. Mm -hmm. And it's more like digitally instant um, mm. update. Yeah. Updated. And um, that was something I've never done before. And I told them and they're like, that's fine. Like um, we might, we can just like kind of they didn't know what they were doing and mm. i didn't but because i we had that comfortable level of communication you had that and i said right. yeah and i said i won't charge as much because this is something that i'm doing new and we can just kind of go with it and just kind of when you're happy with the product then we can decide on like a price and we can mm -hmm. decide all that as we go along but i it's something cool and interesting that i want to do mm -hmm. and if you're down to give me that opportunity yeah. It just makes up for a really cool like experiment, but then yeah, it always end up ends up working. But then that's quite interesting because to me, I, I've been looking at these um, NFC cards, these near field cards, and it really makes me uh, interested to know how big a difference it is designing for that than it is a paper because are they the same size? Are there, are there different sizes, different print materials? I imagine so. You, I mean. What? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So even though you'd have a good basis in print design for business cards, you can bring some of the language and jargon across to the NFC, but actually it's a new field and you have to be mindful of that, right? Exactly, yeah. So even in something like this, like I can say I can design business cards, but then even within that sort of design scope, there's credit cards, there's normal paper business cards, there's the CRAE ones that are like the NFC. Mm -hmm. Then there's um, there's just so many different types. Mm. Then there's like ID badges you can do. Yeah. And then there's some are metal, some are chrome, some yeah. are um, plastic, some are translucent sort of material. Um, some are paper, rounded edges, curved edges, circular, square. Like the, it, it yeah. just goes on yeah, and on and on. Yeah. 
something you just said there, um, Asen, about like um, whether they've got rounded edges or, or pointy edges or anything like that. Obviously, like there is so much detail that goes into something that you might not expect. I wonder, we, like, we've discussed in other podcasts that there are certain forms of um, visual jargon, something, some things that you can just see and uh, you kind of just get a message from them already. Something like a like a, a nice little rounded edge uh, business card. Is that slightly like less formal? Is that slightly more informal than like a a, a traditional square? Or sorry, rectangular business card. Is that you know what sort of message does that give off? That is really interesting, and I can't even say because that is so subjective. Mm. And what I think might look more professional for someone's brand could be they could be thinking the complete opposite. I personally feel like the normal square rectangle business cards are so outdated mm. and I feel like they're really basic. And I feel like if you, I personally do like the more rounded edges because I feel like it's something different and it's, I personally like it more. And I do feel mm. like for certain companies, it, if it kind of goes with their aesthetic and their sort of design, I feel like it can look more professional because I do find the normal rectangular business mm. cards quite basic, yeah. and you can and you everyone has them. But if you want something more personal, personal, then I feel like you can kind of experiment mm. with that. So similarly, um, I guess your your choice of color palette would go into that as well. If you wanted, so when you were designing a logo, if you know there might be some more, let's say, approachable colours to choose rather than black and white. But if you wanted a more formal approach, a more professional approach, you may use black and white. Do you see where I'm going with this? Like the colour choice and the design basically is your first point of communication before any words have even been said. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I do when I do work with clients is I say, if you can give me like a few examples of your vision, and what you really like, that that is literally the best way for me to start rather than even if they were to talk, we were going to have a two hour conversation about their vision and what they like and what they don't like and where they want their brand to go. If they were to just show me like a mood board, mm. that would just, that is the best possible thing because I feel like I pick up so much more than a conversation can. Visually, like I would rather see something and just go from there rather than have a hour or two hour conversation with someone because i don't know maybe just everyone or as a designer and you guys are designers as well so i feel like it's just more is that a sort of language that you understand more one of the cornerstones of my work is that form follows function so you need to understand and amy's big on this the why you know what what what's the point of this thing and so a business card, to me, the function of a business card is to communicate your um, details first and foremost. You need to tell people how they can make contact with you, how they can make business with you. And then a secondary function of that card is to express parts of your brand. And I think that you can only really express parts of your brand when you have, as you say, Asin, a, a clear vision of what that is. And so one of my favorite things to get from a client is their brand guidelines. And actually one of my favorite things to do for a client if I'm doing a branding uh, job is to create their brand guidelines because that's that's the, that's the document that really describes in tremendous detail what it is that they are trying to 
communicate on every single piece of print media, online media, whatever goes out, they need to communicate these this set of values, this mission, blah, 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 blah. So when we talk about rounded edges versus cornered edges, uh, like it's visual jargon, it is because a, a rounded edge, to me anyway, suggests a softer approach, potentially a more um, unique approach to a, a, a classic business card. Whereas a, tr- a traditional squared edge business card, uh, sorry, square cornered business card um, translates a, a different sort of message. And, and Asin, you're, you, you know, you're, you're quite right to uh, express your um, subjective opinion on that being old fashioned because it is because that's where they started. You know, the designs go in your wallet and that's it. Like that, everybody has them. Um, but then when you have like I've seen business cards that are um, really tiny uh, rectangles and you get this it, it actually got, got lost in my wallet and it was useless and then you have different things in design so for me my business cards are foiled and so they change the light changes and the whole the shorthand of that is about adaptability you know the design itself is one thing but actually just that little flash of color that changes is to suggest that my brand is adaptable I'll do I'm down to try anything new like you are you know James, I think that was a really good um, point to make is that you, you do have pieces of visual jargon and it's even more difficult to translate visual jargon than it is verbal jargon because we've got language and we've got vocabulary to fall back on. I, that's mm. my opinion. I mean, what do you guys think of that? Well, it, it, it as we've always said, it, it works two ways. So um, your the business card that you've just shown, James, about the the, the change in colour and the adaptability. That only works if someone is, I guess, on the level to to understand that and appreciate it. Um, yes, yes, I, under, I, I get that. Um, but I think I'm... <laughs> okay, so, yeah, you're right, you're right. And I think a lot of this, uh, Asin, a lot of this designer stuff you know, this justification of using this shape and the the explanation of using a foiled business card um, largely comes after the fact because you you can retrofit a, an idea of what you did. It doesn't mean that it's not equally as applicable because you design that for some reason and there's a lot of instinct that goes into design, especially when you're designing for yourself. And so when you can then uh, retrofit a, a reason for that being foiled and being adaptable... It doesn't matter whether that really gets translated every single time you put your business card out. It doesn't It doesn't matter. But what matters is the thought and the process that went into it in the first place because if one person mm. understands that, that's a client that you're going to keep for a long time. It's so true. Like what I was saying before, it is just so subjective. And you're right, even if one person kind of looks at that and is like, oh, wow, I really like that and connect with that then that's all you need. Not everyone's going to like your design. Not everyone's going to... That's just what design is. It's just subjective. Yeah, Yeah, you can try your very best to put as much objectivity and and words to it and language to it and jargon to it. But ultimately, the the main... You know, the two questions that um, I always ask my clients are, number one, does it do what it's supposed to do? And number two, do you like it? And if Mm. they say, no, I don't like it, then that's the point where my design uh, 
skills get flexed because then I can start to change the things to their brief about how what they want to, to like more about their design. If it's not doing what it should be doing, then that's a big problem and that's what we need to address first. And then when it comes down to do they like it or not, that's what matters. It's not about it's not about whether the general public at large are going to like it if it does what it's supposed to do and then the person who's commissioned it likes it then that's a job well done if mm. the general public know what it's they understand what it's supposed to do but they don't like it doesn't matter because the subjectivity of it is taken out of the equation once the function has been established like Asen's right though it depend again it depends on what you're trying to communicate with your brand if you want to communicate that you're um a forward-thinking, innovative brand, then yeah. yeah, you need an NFC card. You need something that isn't an old-fashioned, square-cornered, 55 by 85 card yeah. um, that's printed on old, horrible digital print with, you know, that like a gloss ends up being dog-eared in your wallet. And- exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you, you know, I, I want to establish that I'm um, rooted in, uh, not tradition necessarily, but... Um, rooted in print media. So, I mean, mm. my cards, these, um, you could build a house with these things. Like, they're, they're so thick and so um, hard and they're laminated in the middle, but the top half is one type of paper and the bottom half is another type of paper. So the bottom's smooth and the top slightly rougher and then the foil lies in between them. So I'm sort of bringing all these elements of tradition and, yeah, self-promo, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm bringing all these elements of tradition and innovation together without having to go into digital because I'm prefer I preferably would like to be seen as a print person rather than a digital person. But it's also very practical. Like it makes sense that you've got a, a solid business card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cuz you're going to from a consumer perspective, it's also thinking about what am I going to this company or, or person for? <laughs> if if the function of that piece of media is to give people your contact information and to like keep a reminder of what it is that you do then that's all the information you need to give them isn't it Mm. you don't necessarily need to be uh full on about your business card and how it works but then again if you're um it goes back to the idea what are you trying to communicate yeah yeah but if you've if you've got a client and i'm not sure if this is the right client that you were talking about with the nfc stuff asin but if you've got a, a therapy client a therapist client that perhaps is rooted a bit more in confidentiality and they have a near-field business card that they can have one or two of in their wallet and just tap someone's phone and give you their contact details, then that speaks to their brand again because and that's that the action is a form of jargon because it's saying, I'm confidential enough not to give you any piece of paper that could potentially be linked back to the fact that you're in therapy if you don't want to you know, tell people that you're in therapy. I think that's um, that's a really interesting way of communicating a brand like that. No, no, you're right. And yeah, it does kind of like, for example, how you have your business card and it's something that you want to show and it's something that represents a part of you and your brand. Whereas I don't think someone's going to want to carry like a therapy um yeah. business card in their wallet or anything like that so i feel like it does depend on the business and what they and how they kind of represent themselves and who their client is yeah mm. and what but once again it does go it does come back to um 
having a reliance on the other person to be on the same uh, level as you. Because if I'm rocking around with a Nokia 3310, my phone's not going to pick up any of these fancy business cards, is it? You're, you know, you're, you're, you're being a bit presumptuous at some point. Yeah. But if, if you're a client that's still using a 3310, then you're going to want a, a square-edged business card, aren't you? Because mm. you're, you're clearly a, 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 a traditional kind of client. <laughs> you know. I love those things. You, you could take down a bus with a 3310. They're hilarious. Um, I'm going to move into our feature, if that's okay, ladies and gentlemen. Our feature is called What Does It All Mean? And every episode we ask our wonderful guests to bring with them one piece of industry-specific jargon that they know, that they think that we are not going to know, and then we attempt to guess what that piece of jargon means. So, Asen, have you brought along with you a piece of jargon to throw into the group that you think we might not be able to guess what it means? I feel like you are going to know because you know so mm. much about it anyways, but I will... <laughs> I had a few, but I just... Okay, so there's justifying a text. Would you know what that means? Because mm. when I first heard it, I didn't know what it meant. I, Yeah, I think If you I do, do get it, I'll give you another one. Okay. I think I get it. I think justifying a text, does it refer to like, whether it's lines like to the left or to the right or in the middle? Is that justifying a text? You're close. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's close <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah. yeah. No, no, that is, yeah. Because if you left justify, it means it'll look like a paragraph from, from wow, the. Wow, James, yeah. you didn't even let me give my answer. Oh, what's your answer? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say. No, so you can left justify, right justify, or you can do it so that the text is aligned on both sides of the page. Yeah. You can even do it so that the text is aligned left and right in the, in the frame. And then your last line doesn't go all the way across, or you can choose to have your last line as a whole thing. That was an easy one. Should we try one more? Yeah. Oh, that was easy. Okay. Um, go for it, Asim. Let me try. Okay. Um, a favicon. Oh. That is a, that's a good one. Oh, what did you say? A favicon. Favicon. It sounds like it's it sounds like it's a French word. Sorry, can you say it one last time? It's a favicon. <laughs> I, I know what one is. Does so it, I'm, does I'm it mean your, your favourite icon? <laughs> that's that's, that's, <laughs> that's very really, clever. Thanks, James. That's, that's a really interesting route, route to take, though. It's your favourite go-to icon. I mean, like, that is a good route to take. I'd say. Okay, so it's on the right lines. So I genuinely have no idea. Over. No, I'm absolutely stumped. James, hazard a guess. Go wild. Come on. Favicon. It, it could be... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Is it some form of, like... I don't know, like a random piece of punctuation that I don't know? I, I have nope. no idea. <laughs> Asen, put them out of their misery. What's a favicon? Do you know, James? I know what it is, yeah. yeah. Do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell everybody? So I can prove myself? Okay, my guys, it open up a web browser. <laughs> What's a browser? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'd already done that when I googled the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, browser open. Okay, so in in your tab, in the top top left hand side of the tab, mm. you see that little icon. Oh, okay. That is a favicon. That is it. 
So what that nice. does is it communicates very quickly what website you're on. Yeah, I like that. That's very clever. Yeah, it could be either like your logo or like a short form of your logo. Mm -hmm. um, just something that kind of sums up your logo, your brand image. It's called a favicon. Yep. Yeah, very but it nice. Just, it could have just been like an icon or I don't know. It's just a word that sounds so that was a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah very. That, that's very good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> so favicon, there's one for the uh, one for the dictionary. So I think that brings us close to the end of our podcast, ladies and gents. Thank you, Asen, once again for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been no. a pleasure. <laughs> no problem. Mm. Uh, we have a variety of speakers on this series of Incommunicado, so to make sure you don't miss out, be sure to get involved. Amy, would you like to tell our wonderful listeners how they can get involved? I sure would. Thank you, James. So you can find us across all social media channels at Incom Podcast. That's I-N-C-O-M-M Podcast. Brilliant. And James, when they get to those places, what do you think they should do? They can join in the conversation by commenting, following, liking, subscribing, whatever, depending on uh, the platform you find us on. Uh, if you want to make direct contact with us, you can send us an email at hello at incompodcast.com. You certainly can. And if you want to support the podcast, please head over to the website www.incompodcast.com to find further instructions on how to do so. Thank you so much for listening today and we'll catch up with you in the next